Hi, and welcome to SpondyCast, where we bring together the best medical minds, thought leaders, scientists, patients, and caregivers to inform and inspire the spondylitis community. I'm your host, Jill Miller, living my best spa life, knowing that how we meet today has the power to change everything going forward. Hi, and welcome to SpondyCast. Today, our guest is Sandra Voss, who is a certified yoga teacher that completed her 200-hour yoga training with Harlem Yoga Studio and level one of yoga for arthritis training with the Integral Yoga Institute in New York City. Sandra was diagnosed with spondyloarthritis in 2015 and has been leading Spondylitis Association of America's New York City patient educational support group since 2017. She has found yoga, stretching, and other exercises to be extremely helpful for managing her pain and maintaining mobility. She loves sharing the benefits of yoga with others, and her classes emphasize mindfulness, accessibility, reducing pain, connecting with our own inner experience, and finding the version of a pose that feels best in your body, rather than practicing in order to achieve a perfect or fancy pose. She is also the co-founder of Spondy Strong, an online program offering yoga and fitness classes to people with spondyloarthritis. Sandra, welcome to SpondyCast. Thanks so much. And thanks so much for having me today. So we've known each other for some time since we were both support group leaders, and I'm really excited to have you on today. Uh, a little tidbit, I'm on day 23 of a 30-day hot yoga challenge doing 60 to 90 minutes every day. Oh, yeah, it's been transformative. So I'm really hoping that our listeners can get a few tips and tricks from you today about the difference between a practice and a perfect, uh, mm -hmm. as we like to call it. Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit about your diagnosis and your own AS journey, because you you had a totally different life before AS, right? Professionally. Yeah, a little bit. Um, yeah, I started having symptoms when I was in grad school for social work. Um, and my case, I think, was a little bit unique because it came on really suddenly. I just woke up one morning with some really bad pain in my SI joints. Um, and I was training for a half marathon, so I sort of thought it was a running thing. So it, it took a little while for me to get a diagnosis, but I was lucky to get it um, about a year later, which I know is pretty short compared to a lot of people. Um, and so it was during grad school and sort of right in my first year afterwards that I got diagnosed. Um, and so I think it definitely affected my career trajectory because I tried to sort of prioritize, um, you know, being able to have a standing desk and those kinds of things, like having a work-life balance. Um, but I still ended up in some full-time, pretty high-stress jobs, um, and it was still a lot to deal with um, physically. Um, and then I actually was at a seminar at the Hospital for Special Surgery in New York, um, where they had a presentation by Nancy O'Brien, who is a wonderful yoga teacher and yoga therapist. Um, and she was the one who sort of introduced me to the concept of yoga therapy and using it for chronic pain, which was sort of a new 
concept for me. I had done yoga for a long time. Um, I had heard of yoga therapy, but I hadn't quite tuned into the ways it can really be used for chronic pain. Um, and so I talked to her and that got me interested in doing yoga teacher training. Um, and I did it while I was still working a high stress social work job. And then since then, I've been able to do part time yoga teaching and then part time social work, um, which has been a lot better of a balance for me. Great. And you, uh, I guess we'll say that you got relief in your mm -hmm. practice, which is what led you to become a yoga teacher, correct? Yeah. I mean, I was doing so much stretching, especially in my first few years of um, after diagnosis. I was really trying to do the physical therapy exercises I had been given, do my daily stretching. And so I saw how much that really helped me. Um, and so that was what I really wanted to bring to other people was sort of having this um, tool, which can be really empowering to just know like, okay, there's certain physical practices that I can do that will help reduce my pain. Um, and then through yoga teacher training, um, I also got much more interested in the mind body aspects and the role that things like breathing and relaxation exercises and meditation can play also in reducing um, stress and pain. Sandra, I have heard you many times talk about how everyone is an expert on their own life. And with that, how does that inform you as an instructor uh, and in making yoga accessible to everyone? And then how does that maybe inform a choice that a yogi might make and what type of yoga they want to practice? Mm. Yeah, great questions. Um, so I would say everyone being an expert on their own life, what that means is that each person knows what feels best in their own body. And that sometimes might mean ignoring or modifying what a, what a yoga teacher might be saying, like in a, in a group class, um, you know, one that's not like tailored to someone with spondylitis or even some that might be. Um, sometimes a teacher might tell you to do a certain position. And if that doesn't feel good for you, um, I think it's really important to, to do something else. And that can be hard because sometimes I've had teachers who have sort of corrected me, like they've said, oh, I noticed you're doing this. Like, why don't you try this instead? Um, not really realizing that I'm doing that for a reason. So I try to remember that with my classes, like I'll, I'll give someone a correction if they're doing something that might injure them, like if their knees, you know, not aligned in a healthy way. Um, but if someone is sort of taking what I've suggested and modifying it a little bit, I try to just remember like, okay, there might be, there might be a reason they're doing that. And I'll usually, uh, it depends, maybe not always, but I'll ask them, you know, I'll say, oh, I noticed like you're doing this, like, is this thing not comfortable for you? Or is this thing painful? Or sometimes, you know, I'll just kind of let people do their thing. But I think that's, that's really important to remember that like, not everything you're going to be told to do in a yoga class will necessarily feel great for you. And that's okay. Yeah. And I've been in them where a yoga teacher might think that my body does something it doesn't actually do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Which yeah. is which can be really interesting when you have some limitations around range of motion. Uh, and then in terms of choosing yoga, is there, is there a, there's no magic uh, combination to pick the right yoga, but would someone pick a particular style of yoga if they had spondyloarthritis or would it be just to check everything out? Uh, mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I think um, it really depends on the person. Um, one thing, of course, that we know about spondylitis is that it affects everyone so differently. For some people, they can have relatively minimal pain and still have the same range of motion they always did. And they might be looking for a pretty intense yoga class. And so for some people like that, you know, really love hot yoga or kind of more intense like vinyasa classes where you're moving a lot. Um, but then for other folks, especially if they're new to yoga or if they have more fusions or more pain, I think it's better to start with something gentle. Um, even chair yoga classes, I think some people are a little bit turned off by them because it sounds like they're just, you know, for elderly people or something. Um, even those can be great and a great way to start in a safe way and then kind of build up from there. Um, but I would say if in doubt, start on the gentler side, you know, maybe not a vinyasa class, which is like a kind of faster moving flow class, maybe not hot yoga, maybe start with like a, just, you know, any kind of gentle yoga class or hatha yoga often means kind of individual poses, not like a fast flow. Um, but not everywhere is going to even name the yoga classes that way. Sometimes they just name them, you know, beginners or level one or something like that. So kind of depends on the studio. And do you recommend people, if it's one of their first yoga classes, that they check in with their instructor and maybe ahead of time and let them know that maybe they've got some limitations or they're looking for modifications. There seems to be a modification for everything mm -hmm. uh, in yoga that I've found. Yeah. I mean, I think if you feel comfortable talking to the teacher ahead of time, um, I think that can be really helpful. And if you don't feel comfortable you know, sharing the name of your diagnosis at the very least, just letting them know that you have a condition or that you have um, an inflammatory condition or inflammatory arthritis that might make certain poses difficult. Or if you know specifically, you know, back bends are hard for me or something, you can mention that to the teacher. And I, I think that can be really helpful. Nice. And so yoga is one of those things that kind of like life, some days our range of motion is wider than others. Some days it's uh, great and we're like a noodle. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think that plays into the overall benefits of yoga, where it's not a magic pill. You have to do it consistently. And we will have different days uh, where our body behaves differently. But what benefits do you see for people with a chronic disease, particularly spondyloarthritis, uh, that they can get from yoga that isn't just about the movement. Mm. Yeah, there are a lot of them, which I think we don't always think about because, again, just the way yoga is shown in the media, kind of in the Western world, it's always kind of shown as a physical exercise. Um, but a lot of the value of yoga also comes from the mindfulness practices that can kind of be integrated throughout class, like sort of noticing how your breathing is or noticing how something feels in your body, um, as well as specific breathing exercises or meditation, like often at the beginning and end of a class, there will be a component of mindfulness or some deep breathing or relaxation exercise or some type of meditation. Um, and a lot of those practices are actually being shown through research um, to really affect things like stress and anxiety and pain. Um, and I think it's a really growing area of research that we're just going to see more and more about, about how those practices really do work. Yeah. And one of the things I have personally tried to be intentional about is what happens in my yoga class from a mindfulness perspective, 
that I can apply to my day-to-day life. Mm. And I've had it where I realize after trying to do something two or three times that if I don't rush into the pose, the outcome is a lot better, right? Mm. It's just one example. Mm -hmm. I'm a lot more flexible when I let go and breathe. Mm -hmm. So you have a fascinating background that combines not only lived experience with a social worker background, as well as now uh, a yoga practitioner and teacher. Uh, How do you see yoga impacting uh, the non-physical part of people's lives when they have a chronic disease? The meditation or I'll let you read on that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's important to remember that there's a lot of benefits of yoga other than the physical practices, which I think are definitely the parts that are most emphasized. Like, again, in the sort of Western world, we always see yoga as sort of as exercise. Um, but there's a lot of yoga that is about mindfulness um, in terms of sort of throughout the yoga class, kind of being aware of your body and your breathing and um, if your thoughts are wandering. And so that's that's a big part of it. Um, but then separate from that, both in my yoga classes and I think in pretty much most classes you would do in a, in a studio, um, usually at the beginning and end of class, there will be either some kind of brief meditation or breathing practices. Um, And a lot of those practices are actually being shown through scientific research to have measurable effects on the body, which is really cool. Like there are breathing practices that are shown to stimulate this nerve called the vagus nerve that affects the nervous system. Um, And there seems to be just tons of research kind of exploding right now about um, the ways that these kind of relaxation practices can really affect um, stress and anxiety and even pain. So yeah, I think that's a a really big and important part of yoga. And you had mentioned a book that you have found a lot of information in. Yeah, um, I mean, it's like, it's a little academic, maybe it might be kind of like most interesting for people who are either um, yoga teachers or yoga therapists or, um, you know, in the sort of mental health world, but it's called Yoga for Mental Health. edited by Heather Mason and Kelly Birch. Um, And I just found it really fascinating as far as talking about the ways that yoga and various different yoga practices can help with anxiety, um, how they help the nervous system, how mindfulness kind of operates, like how it can sort of help you get better at tolerating um, certain types of feelings over time. So yeah, definitely recommend that one. Um, And I know there's just tons of books and articles and, you know, podcasts, TED Talks, all these different things these days about mindfulness. And um, if you're interested in sort of the scientific side of things, there's a lot of, a lot of research to read about right now too. Yeah, that's really interesting. And, you know, one of the things I think we have to keep in mind is that uh, yoga and stretching are two different things. And I would Mm -hmm. love to help you just quickly dive into that because I think that can be enlightening for some people. Uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really um, interesting question. It's one that I think about a lot because when I was first diagnosed with spondylarthritis, um, 
I tried to do a certain set of stretching exercises um, pretty much every day. And then when I was getting ready to do yoga teacher training and, you know, they would ask me as part of the application process or sort of just in passing, like, oh, you know, how long have you been practicing yoga? What is your practice like? And I really had to think about like, well, am I doing yoga when I'm stretching or am I just stretching? And I think the dividing line can be pretty gray, um, but I've heard some people describe it as if you're doing any kind of movement or breathing that is mindful. So you're really kind of like aware of what you're doing. You're maybe connecting your movement with your breath. You're sort of trying to really be present with what you're doing. Um, then that is yoga. So you don't necessarily have to be doing things that are sort of like classical yoga poses in order to be doing yoga. You could be doing any kind of stretch. Um, but, you know, I used to do a lot of stretching while like listening to podcasts to make it more, you know, to pass the time. Um, so was that yoga? You know, maybe not necessarily. Um, but I would say it's kind of more about just what what psychological state you're in as you're doing it. And are you sort of, you know, doing it mindfully? Are you thinking about your breath? Um, but I'm sure other people have different opinions, you know, about the difference between stretching and yoga. Um, but both are, of course, physically beneficial for sure. Yeah, for sure. Uh, what is your favorite yoga pose? Ooh. Um, Sorry, put you on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Um, I mean, it could be hard to pick number one, um, but maybe knees to chest. So just lying on your back on the floor and hugging your knees in towards your chest and just sort of gently holding onto your legs. Um, I find that one just such a good lower back release. Um, and also just kind of rocking back and forth, getting that little back massage on the floor. That's a really big one for me. Um, if I could throw in two more top yeah. three, oh. I would say also child's pose is a big one. Um, and then just like a, a forward fold, um, you know, just whether knees are sort of more bent or more straight. Um, that's a great one for me also. But I tend to have most of my pain in my low back. Um, I know other people have pain in, in different areas. So, yeah. And uh, we didn't talk too much about Spondy Strong, but tell us a little bit about Spondy Strong, because I think that's an amazing resource uh, for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, so Spondy Strong um, just kind of magically happened during the pandemic um, when I was just starting to try to explore what I was going to do with yoga. Um, and I connected with this personal trainer, um, Alex Levine, who also has spondylitis. Um, and we started it out just as sort of a small kind of pilot program, just um, with a handful of people. And then we got a lot of interest and so started doing more classes per week. Um, and it's just been a really cool experience to meet um, different people with spondylitis who are interested in exercising together. Um, and it's a really nice little community. Um, and it's just very rewarding to be able to share yoga with people who are really seeking something that is um, safe and effective for them. And there's also a component of like, it's kind of a little bit like a mini support group. Sometimes, you know, we'll talk about like our pain or, you know, what things we found that are helpful recently or sort of, you know, encourage each other to, to do exercises that are helpful. Um, so yeah, um, it's been really fun. I love that. So what is 
we're going to wrap it up here, but do you have a mantra or something in particular on your mind today that you would want to share with our listeners? Hmm. Well, I mean, because you mentioned that everyone is an expert on their own life thing, I feel like that that's sort of top of mind. Um, I think that that can be just an important mantra or message, whatever you want to call it, just to keep in mind, whether it's in terms of things like yoga and exercise or just really anything related to spondyloarthritis that you are the expert on your own life. I think that can be helpful when you're thinking about advocating for yourself with doctors. Um, it can be helpful when thinking about just your general needs. Like if you're kind of having to ask your loved ones for certain support or sort of setting boundaries saying like, you know what, I'm going to do this commitment this weekend, but not this one. Um, just sort of remembering that no one else can sort of tell you what's going to be best for you. I mean, of course, you know, to some extent they can, like we should listen to our doctors. Our doctors have very important knowledge and advice, but that sort of bigger picture um, that you're the expert and you know what feels best for you and what's um, what's helpful for you and not helpful. Um, so yeah, that is what I would share. I love that. And uh, I would say it goes well with something I learned many years ago uh, and I'm going to butcher this and I wish I had the author in front of me, but I think it's right. Your, your life consists of multiple journeys. And when mm. you come to the, I call it, come to the mat, right. When we come to the mat with all these journeys going on externally and internally to us, like the only piece of the journey that matters in this moment is like that next step you're going to take. So even if you mm. haven't been a yogi or you've been thinking about it, just getting up and showing up and starting somewhere is mm. for a lot of people that that next step is the most important one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that. Um, and I think that really ties back into things like yoga and exercise and kind of developing those routines, because a lot of times it can feel really intimidating to start something like, you know, you're tired, you're dealing with fatigue or just trying any kind of new activity can feel daunting, but like half the battle or maybe most of the battle is deciding to do it and just showing up to whatever it is you're doing. And even if all you do is you know, do child's pose for 15 minutes, or all you do is walk 10 minutes, like that's great. You know, you don't have to, it doesn't have to be an all or nothing thing where you're doing an hour long yoga class or some huge workout or something like just showing up and doing something to get started. Um, right. Super, super great. I do want to go back to one thing that I, I'm not sure if we missed it. So I'm going to recover it because I think it was one of the most important pieces we talked about was, and I can't remember how I segued into this, but it was the idea of uh, what we see yoga to look like versus mm -hmm. yoga being for everyone. And I just want to make sure we don't miss that because I think it's so important about accessibility and inclusivity. Mm -hmm. uh, do you remember what I asked you? Mm. Uh, maybe I'll ask it this way. I, mm -hmm. Right. So when someone there's so much out there about yoga that we see in the media or, you know, we see uh, on the Internet, different places. Uh, 
how do we find the yoga that's right for us? Because not all of us look like the typical yogi or have that mindset. How do we find, and I shouldn't say even the typical yogi with the yogi we see on TV, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. How do we, how do we find what's right for us in that theme of we're an expert on our own life, but maybe we want to spread our wings a little? Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I think there's sort of two, at least two ways that come to mind. I guess one is maybe specifically seeking out, um, either yoga for arthritis classes, um, or, something like that, you know, a class that's kind of specifically billing itself as being accessible or inclusive, or maybe even um, for people with arthritis or chronic pain. Um, But I think at the same time, it can also just really be teacher to teacher. Like I've gone to just sort of mainstream yoga classes and just noticed um, a lot of variation between teachers. And one of my favorite teachers, she really uses a lot of kind of non-hierarchical language, we call it. So starting with the most accessible instruction and then saying, maybe you also do this, kind of adding the sort of quote unquote harder um, versions as sort of a afterthought or sort of an optional thing, but starting with the um, the most accessible version and really welcoming people to um, you know ignore what she says or modify. And then I've gone to other mainstream classes where teachers really aren't, you know, using props really aren't offering modifications. Um, So I think it it is kind of a matter of just trying different teachers and finding ones whose approach just kind of is and feels more welcoming. Um, So either of those ways, I think, can be a good way to to find that good fit. Excellent. Well, I want to thank you, Sandra Voss, for taking the time. Uh, I know you're so committed to the community uh, with spondyloarthritis. if people are interested in Spondy Strong, I know they can find information on the Spondylitis Association of America's website, spondylitis.org. Uh, or is there a specific website for your uh, your classes people can check out? Yeah, um, people can find us at spondystrong.wordpress.com is our little website. Um, and I'm also on Instagram at spondypoweredyoga. Um And I just want to thank you so much for having me. It's so cool that you're doing this podcast um, and happy to be here. Awesome. Thanks so much. We will talk soon. Sounds great. Thank you. All right. SpondyCast was made possible by donations from the Spondylitis Association of America's individual members and our show's corporate sponsor, AbbVie. Since our founding in 1983, the Spondylitis Association of America has been the face, voice, and leading nationwide nonprofit, educating, empowering, and advocating for people living with spondyloarthritis. Through our extensive work with patients, the medical community, and partners, we provide information and resources to help people impacted by the disease live better lives and champion research to find a cure.